This media has been presented to you by the Maryland Men of Faith, where men are challenged and encouraged to form the character of Christ. For more information, please visit mmof.org. Our Father in heaven, we want to thank you for giving us the opportunity to meet and to be together as men of faith at this time. We invite your Holy Spirit to be with us specifically in this room right now and to be with all of the others who are meeting in their areas because you are able to be everywhere. Praise the Lord. But we ask, Lord, that you not only be with us, but that you are in us and that you will move us to be the kind of men who will be always faithful. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was the 14th of December, 1986. I was uh, a teacher in a medical school in Mexico at the time, Montemorelos University. And we had just finished exams. It was getting ready for the Christmas break, you know. And I'm correcting exams and I'm listening to some things on the radio from back home. Even though I was born in Trinidad, I grew up in the United States. So the United States was home and I was listening to news from home. And the unthinkable was coming across the radio. The unthinkable. You see, when I was a little boy in Trinidad, in our neighborhood, a man one day came to our neighborhood and he started to live with a family there. This man had been a soldier and uh, was stationed in Trinidad for a while. And he liked the place so much, he decided after going back to the States, he would come back to Trinidad and make this his place to live. I didn't know the man at first, but I watched him. All the kids watched him. Because he would run and exercise he was probably the fittest person that I knew. Now, I used to play uh, soccer. I used to play football. right? That's, that's what we call it back there, right? Football. I used to play cricket. I used to run track. I was a long jumper and a triple jumper. And I thought I was in shape. But this man was really in shape. This man was a U.S. Marine. And the word was that the U.S. Marines were the toughest strongest, bestest fighting machines on the planet. Oh, I remember imitating how he walked, because he used to walk with a little dip. <laughs> All the kids used to imitate this guy. and We'd get around him and, and talk, and he spoke with a funny accent. It was called American accent. Okay? <laughs> ah. We were told that the U.S. Marines... Nothing better. The finest fighting men in the world. So, in 1986, to hear what was coming over the radio was really disturbing news. You see, there was a guy. His name, I don't want to be wrong, his name was Clayton J. Lone Tree. He had walked into a CIA office and he was making a startling confession. He had sold secrets of the United States. Sold, in quotations, to the Russians. A U.S. Marine. He had gone to the elite security school in the Marines. 
he was certified to guard the secrets of the United States and to guard the personnel who were in the embassies around the world. He had been stationed in Moscow for several years, and then he was moved to Vienna. And when he was in Vienna, his conscience pricked him, and he went to the CIA, and he explained that he was involved with espionage. Now, the reality is he also wanted to be a double agent. And he did confess. Thirty years of imprisonment was what was awarded to him for his confession. Because he was a traitor. But, it didn't happen overnight. You see, at the embassy, where he was stationed to guard, and they were told, do not cavort with the enemy. Do not develop any relationships with the Russians. But there was this cute translator, a Russian girl, who would come to the embassy to translate from Russian to English and English to Russian. And you know, if you're standing guard and somebody passes by and says, good morning, what would you do? Good Say good morning. I mean, you're a gentleman. So he started the, or they started, a little interaction that then led to a little friendship. And the next thing you know, he was in love. Her name was Violetta Sani. He fell in love with Violetta, and he thought this was his heartthrob. But Violetta, after they started to have a little romance going on, she then introduced him to another man. And this man's name, they called him Uncle Sasha. Now I tell you, any man named Uncle Sasha, I would be really wary, wary of to begin with. But that was his name, Uncle Sasha. His actual name was Alexei uh, something, all right? Um, Yetro, Yetrovich or Yetrolov or something like that. Anyway, but this, uh, this man became part of this threesome of talking together, and, and he became a, a kind of contact person. And he asked Lone Tree for some favors. He wanted to know something about the plans of the building. He wanted to know about the hierarchy of who were the people in the building. And Lone Tree knew well enough that he should not share this. You see, these, uh, these elite Marines who were guarding things. They had keys to offices, to all the offices in the building. So he could get his hands on some of these things. Eventually, he gave Uncle Sasha an old, previous directory of personnel. Nothing of high classification. But he did pass on that information. When he moved to Vienna, his relationship with Sasha Continued, but his relationship with Violetta ended. He would not see her again. But Sasha, Uncle Sasha, came and visited him and told him about how she was doing and told him that she loved him and told him that he would be able to get the two of them back together. Lone thought about this. He would send her some gifts and she would send him some things. He was longing to be with her. And Uncle Sasha asked him, 
for other favors so that he would make this happen quickly. How does that sound to you? Would you have gone along with it? Did it happen overnight? No. It was step by step, step by step, until he was hooked into a situation that he had no way to back out of gracefully. This was known in the United States at that time as the sex for secrets scandal. Anybody remembers that? Sex for secrets? A few of you. And it became a big, big, big deal. Why? Because there were other military men who also, they suspected, had been selling out secrets of the United States for sexual favors. I tell you, a pretty little Russian girl can make all the difference in the world to one of those lonely soldiers who were expected to be always faithful. That led to some changes in the security measures and whatnot, and things have changed uh, since then. But one of the people who were the protagonists in this was a general who became the general in charge of all of the U.S. Marines. His name is General Gray. This guy uh, was, was a Marine Marine because he went all the way through the ranks. He knew everything about Marines. He was the only general in charge of the Marines who wore battle fatigues on the day of his uh, commission. He believed that these men were true and honest the fighting men. He said, and there's a whole book of grayisms, they call it, things that he said. He said that one of the reasons why other people, other countries will not mess with, will not think of engaging with hostility towards the United States is not because of our technology and all of our planes and all of these things. He says no, it's because they know that they would have to face the U.S. Marines. They use the term, the few. You know the rest of it? The proud. The Marines. He said if everybody could be a Marine, then there would be no Marines. It's only certain people who could be Marines. And those are the Marines. He says it's the fightest, the, the fiercest fighting force on the planet. And it has to stay that way. Which means that they have to be fit and ready every minute of every day. He's known, I, I heard him in an interview, he said, if in the morning there's a disagreement, and in the afternoon the negotiations fail, and in the evening war is declared, the Marines are there to go to war tonight. How are you going to be ready to go to war tonight unless you're always prepared? Always ready. And I would like to contrast the Marine way and the way of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Can we do that? Yes. yes. 
Do we have to be any less ready than the Marines? Are we ready to go to war tonight or do we realize that we're already at war? We're already at war. There's a war that the whole planet is involved in. And it's a war for you, for me, for our families, for life itself. And that war is not fought only externally. Where else is it fought? Internally. It's fought in us. Our souls. It has to do with our loyalty, our allegiance, what we think and how we think. And this battle is raging, and it's raging right now. And you guys have taken this day to come and help sharpen your swords. And I am glad to be here. I'm glad to be with you. And I'm glad to hear all the stuff that's going on and to listen to other presenters as they help to sharpen my sword too. So we have your letter, we have Uncle Sasha, Sex for Secrets. And then this disgrace. The disgrace. You know, we shouldn't be surprised when things like that happen. Despite what... Uh, one of the great uh, generals during Desert Shield said the most important thing about the fighting force in the United States is not the guns, but actually the passion and the love that these men have one for another. I don't know if anybody here has uh, served in the, in the military. But the way it was explained is that when somebody is out there in battle, what keeps him going is love for home, love for country, and knowing that the guy next to him is not going to shoot him. That the guy next to him will take a bullet, if necessary, for him. Love, he says. Do you believe that the Marines actually love? Well, in their way, the word has to be yes. But is that the kind of love that we are called to love like? Ellen White wrote in Education, uh, page 57, for those of you who don't know it. She said, the greatest want of the world. You know the quote? The greatest want of the world is the want of men. Real men. She didn't say real men. I'm saying real men. And she gives the characteristics of what these real men are like. Real men will not be bought or sold. Real men have conscience that are true and honest. Right? Real men are as true to duty as the needle is to the pole. Real men have no fear to call sin by its right name. Real men will stand for the right though the heavens fall. Real men. Do you think that God requires any less of us than to be real men? If we're going to be men, we're going to be real men. Right? We should be real men. 
Not sissy men. Real men. Now what are the Marines who are supposed to be men? What are they known for? Anybody? What, what are they known for? Besides sex for, 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 for secrets. Honor. Honor, courage, and commitment. Honor. Are people of the cloth, are we, disciples of Jesus Christ, known as people of honor? Well, for the most part. But you know, there's something really interesting. When you and I are honorable people, who gets the honor? God. So we are much more interested in honoring God than being honored ourselves. Make sense? Commitment. The Marines are known to be committed soldiers. Are we committed and are we known to be committed disciples of Jesus? Or are we fair weather disciples? You know, when it's convenient, we are. And when it's kind of not too convenient, uh, not quite. Some years ago, I remember uh, some uh, program on the radio, driving along, I was hearing this thing. And this, this Christian man was, uh, was talking, I think it was on Focus on the Family, uh, and he said something to the effect, you know, one day he had to grow up. Because his children forced him to do that. At home, he said, we would pray and we would have, you know, we'd pray before we eat, we'd thank God for our food. But he said, when I went out and we went out to a restaurant, they would just kind of quietly and they'd start eating. And one day, one of his children in a loud voice says, Daddy, aren't we going to pray? Oh, and everybody said they looked. And what was he going to tell his child? Not today. <laughs> so he said, we did what we usually do at home. We held hands around the table. We bowed our heads. And we thanked God for the food. He said when he raised up his head, he was surprised. Nobody was gawking. Nobody was criticizing. The table didn't disappear. His child was happy. And he was redeemed. Now that might be a little thing. But you know, the Bible says that if we are ashamed of Jesus... Before men, do you know how to complete that one? He will be ashamed of us before his father. Are we ashamed of Jesus? Are we fair weather disciples? 
Or are we committed going all the way? All the way. Marines are known for their courage. Going against all odds. I've had two brothers-in-law who were in the military. One of my favorite brothers-in-law. He was like an older brother to me. Was a sergeant in the Marines. And he told me about what they indoctrinated people to do. He said, knowing better that at the height of his military experience, if his commander walked up to a wall, a brick wall, and said to him, Lester, that was his name, Put your head through this wall. He would do it. I thought, man, that's tough. Knowing that the wall is brick, he said, yes. If the commander is going to tell me to put my head through that wall, it must mean that I can put my head through that wall. They say in the Marines, there are only two ways to do things. The Marine way and the wrong way. (laughs) How is it with Christ's call on us? If Jesus says, walk through that wall, Would you walk through it? Would you really take him at his word? Daniel did. Huh? Daniel did. Daniel did. Yeah. Now, now, let me tell you. This might sound like it's a theoretical question. It's not theoretical. If he tells us to do something, Will he not make a way for it to be done? Isn't that what we believe? Isn't that what we preach? What he says we will do. Isn't there a song that goes like that? What he says we will do. But do we? He's calling us to have courage. You know he spoke to Joshua. And what did he tell Joshua? Be strong and be of good courage. Right? Good courage. He wants us to be strong and courageous. He wants us to be real men. He wants us to be faithful. But you know, the Marines are also known to be tough. They're known to be strong, physically fit. And I know, you probably thought, this guy is a doctor, so he must be talking about health, so I'm not going to disappoint you. We're going to talk about health now, all right? Are we physically fit? Let me give you a little hint here. I'm not asking if you're fat. Fit trumps fat. Did you know that? If you're fat and you're fit, the fit works better for you 
than the fat takes against you. A fit, fat person is better off than a skinny, sedentary person. So don't use fat as the excuse. Are you fit? The issue is not just, again, being physically fit. Because the Marines are also known to be mentally fit. Mentally tough. But when it comes to the physical part of our health, you know, we have to look at some statistics. Do you know that 25% of men who will die this year will die of heart disease? Are you aware of that? That's what the CDC says. 25%. But if you ask the women in the country, they will tell you that thousands of men die every week because of another disease called stubbornness. <laughs> huh? Have you heard about that? Wives tell their husbands, you need to go and see the doctor. And what does the husband say? I'm fine. I'm fine. It'll go away. It's, it's okay. I got this one. Right? When we look at the statistics of male and females going to the doctor, what we find is that boys and girls go to the doctor at the same rate in the United States until the age of 18. And then the boys disappear and the girls continue. Now why do you think that is? Not parents. Which parent? No. <laughs> the mother, right? It has all to do with mom. Mom takes the kids. Dad doesn't. And when the boy gets to 18 or so, and he goes away to college, he now becomes a man. Mom doesn't have the same influence. Listen, being a man really has a lot to do with the women in our lives, especially mom. What mom did. How mom cared. Now, I'm not saying that dad didn't have a big influence on you or on us. But mom certainly had the preponderance because when it was cold outside, who told you to put on your coat? Mom. Who made sure that you ate your vegetables? Was it dad? No, dad can pass the law. But mom was the one to say, here, sweetheart, have some more. Am I right or am I wrong? And then, when we get married and we stay young, as young men, oftentimes, instead of the men being the leader in the family, we let the wife become the leader in the family. Sometimes I jokingly quip, we have three sons. I would say my wife has four sons. You think that's right? <laughs> no. We have three sons. They have one father. Actually, they have two. They have a father in heaven as well, right? But on earth, they have one father. 
And I am supposed to be in my family a man. Not another son. Not one who is uh, going to be taken care of the way the kids are taken care of. By my wife and their mom. But oftentimes, the caring of a wife may become the doting of a mother. I enjoyed what Randy Skeet said this morning. Real men, real husbands, are protectors. You can't do that being a doting husband. He didn't say, however, in these words, but I'm, I'm putting it this way, that real men are the priests of the home. Isn't that right? Real men, uh, we have the peas, the priest, the protector, the provider in the home. That's part of our role. That's what real men do. It doesn't mean that under any particular circumstance that your wife can't make more money than you do. But you are the provider, you're the priest, and you're the protector. That's what real men do. And in order to be a good protector, please don't be an invalid. <laughs> I mean, that just makes common sense. If you are not fit, and you are not able, and it could be that you have some illness or something, I'm not, I'm not downing that, but to the extent that we are able to be fit and capable, we can't let the Marines outshine God's army. We need to be strong, we need to be courageous, we need to be committed, we need to be physically and mentally fit. We are at war. We need to be mentally tough. So much so that God knows that this battle for our minds is a serious one. And one that we're likely to lose by just doing Nothing. So he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may know what is that good and perfect will of God. Because that's the issue. That we know the perfect will of God. That we know God, whom to know is life eternal. That's what God wants us to do. So he says, <laughs> don't let any other mind be in you. Instead he tells us, let this mind be in you. Which one is that? That is also in Christ Jesus. That's the mind that you have to have. The mind of God himself in Christ Jesus. Now how do we get that kind of a mind? Yes. We have to feed on what he gives us as spiritual food, as mental food. You see, it is a, <laughs> it's a reality that what we feed upon is what we think about and what we become. 
Somebody was making a joke uh, about this. They say, you know, whatever you think about, that you become. And they said there are a lot of teenage boys going around who really should be girls because that's all they think about. <laughs> so you think about girls, you become a girl, right? <laughs> uh, of course, that's a joke. The issue is, what are you thinking about? What am I thinking about? Right? What are we entreated by God to think about? Does he give us any, any hint? Whatsoever is... Ah, Alright. Whatsoever things are pure and true and honest, right? Just. A good report. If there's any virtue and any praise, think on these things. So he tells us, think about these things. Think on these things. Meditate on this. Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 6. He tells us how we should do this with our kids, right? They're rising up and they're going down, right? We should bind it between their eyes like frontlets. So we teach this to them. Well, I have found it really difficult to teach things that I don't know. Really difficult. So we have to do it ourselves and then we teach it to our kids. We have to take care of ourselves in order to take care of those who are entrusted to our service. Who we're entrusted to take care of. To be protector and priest and provider for. And God expects us. He wants us to be always faithful to those tasks. Semper Fi. Semper Fidelis. Better than the Marines. Now some people say that we have bodies. I disagree. We are bodies. All I have to do is to step on your toe and you'll know it. It's not something that you have, it's something that you are. Right? We don't have minds, we are minds. And in the same way we don't have spirits, we are spirits. All these are mixed into one. We are an integral entity, not an assembly of different parts. What we do physically and mentally affects us spiritually. And what we do spiritually and mentally affects us physically. Everything interacts with each other in us because we are integral entities. All of this together. We are whole people. Broken because of sin. But the design was a design of wholeness. Completeness. And God wants to restore that to us. And he called that, back in, uh, in the Old Testament, he called this completeness. The best word that translates this and the concept of health is shalom. Shalom. It means everything that is good, completely, no error, no missing, nothing. That's shalom. And God wants us to experience this shalom. He wants to make us whole again, complete again, out of our brokenness. He wants us not to be halfway men, not three-quarters men, not seven-eighth men, not 99% men. He wants us to be whole, real men. So, gentlemen, if you're not in shape, get in shape. 
How about that for a practical piece of advice? If you're not in shape, get in shape. Start walking, if that's what you have to do. Park the car a little bit further and walk. Walk with your wife. She'd love it. My wife does. You have a chance to talk, to catch up on things. She's happy, you're happy. And you're getting in shape. Right? You can watch those football players. All these guys, big, strong guys, running up and down the field. And you sit there on the couch. <laughs> They're getting the exercise. You're getting sick. That's what it is. Get out there and get exercise. If you haven't exercise, been involved in physical activity for a while, be smart. Go and see a doctor. Make sure that you're fit to get fit. Right? That you're not going to walk out there and drop dead of a heart attack. Go and see a doctor. You know that thing that you've been postponing? The stuff with the finger? Huh? Get it done. If you have to get it done, get it done. Right? Don't postpone it. Right? Whenever we talk about men's health, the first thing that comes to men's mind is the prostate and a prostate exam. Uh, let me tell you. I've had to, I've had to have prostate exams. And, and I, I, I was um, referred to this doctor who was well, um, I mean, well known. Okay? I got a rectal exam and I was in pain for two weeks. For two weeks. This well-known doctor did not know how to do prostate exams. And he does this for a living. Okay? So I... Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to tell you to do something that I myself haven't, haven't had done. But I tell you what. My patients and all of the residents and students that I teach how to do rectal exams, it is painless. Okay? It does not have to hurt. So maybe you should find a doctor who who does it, and it doesn't have to hurt, right? But if, at your doctor, the people are going there because of rectal exams, and after they have their first rectal, they're asking for a second one, be careful of that doctor. Okay? <laughs> That's not normal. Yes, sir? Yes, yes. And there are two different kinds of, uh, of recommendations. And we're right in the middle of the debate. There are some who say you don't need to do a rectal exam anymore. You can just do the PSA levels. And other guidelines say no, you increase the yield by doing the prostate exam. So keep your eyes on what is going on. Alright? But for some uh, individuals, if you're having certain kinds of symptoms, the doctor will tell you, it doesn't matter about the PSA. We need to we need to feel what's going on in there. Additionally, the rectal exam doesn't only uh, examine the prostate. It actually examines the rectum. And colorectal cancer still exists. It still costs lives. Right? So it's not just the prostate that's involved. It's also the rectal, uh, 
directly exam. Yes, sir. <laughs> For the painless rectal exam, right? Painless rectal exams. <laughs> okay. The other thing is, of course, uh, men, know your wrists. Okay? We all, we all come, you know, we all come with risks. We're born with risk. We're born with congenital disease. Okay? We're going to talk about that spiritually in a, in a second. But we, we're born in a sinful world, in a decaying race, called the human race. We're born to die. We're born with a fatal disease. Okay? We all have risk. Know what your risks are, and if there's something that you can do to mitigate those risks, to reduce those risks, do it. And you know what? Mostly it involves the way we live. So we live in such a way so that the risks are lower and we can exercise the responsibility that we've been given to care for our loved ones and to care for ourselves too. Okay? What I found when I played a very exhausting game of tennis, you know, uh, vigorous tennis, mm-hmm. it helps you mentally and it helps you spiritually. Yeah. So it's not just physically, but when you have a good exercise regimen, Yes, yes. And also, it improves, you know, I want to read my Bible more. I'm more alert. But, you know, so it helps. Exercise, physical exercise, mental exercise, spiritual exercise. Yeah. I mean, we, we could have a whole session on, on men's health, specifically uh, dealing with physical activity and, and the things that we can do. This was not the intention for, uh, for this particular talk. But um, maybe, maybe next year uh, we can have a, a, a special session or two on dealing with, uh, with men's health specifically. But within the mental health uh, issues, we need to realize that mental health is a big problem all over the world, including the United States. One in four people have a mental health problem. So in this room, let's see here. One, two, three. My brother. <laughs> one, two, th- sir, I am sorry. <laughs> right? One in four. Okay? I don't know which ones you are. <laughs> but I'm doing the counting, right? <laughs> so I'm on this side. <laughs> no, one in four. What does this mental health issue involve? It involves our thinking, it involves our feeling, and it involves our moods. There are some people you know by their mood that there's something wrong. Isn't that right? People that you you interact with all the time. You can say, this person is not appropriate. When They're not appropriate. They're just different. Okay? There's some people, their emotions are like on a roller coaster. They're either anxious or or depressed or, or whatever. Right? But the most insidious is the thinking part of things, the cognition, the thinking problems that we have. We have many people who have distorted ways of thinking. The way they even talk to themselves reinforces bad thinking. There are some people whose whole outlook on life is a negative one, one of fear. But God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. 
He doesn't want that for us. He wants us to think straight. And one of the correctives for thinking, we're not talking about people who have now severe mental disorders, one of the correctives for our thinking is actually to feast on the truth. That helps us straighten out the way we think. It gives us a different lens within which to look at the world. And we need to be able to look at the world through God's eyes. That's the truth. There are people who have done this. And you know some of them. You know, if you're like me, I read uh, the Bible and I have a favorite character. Do you have a favorite character in the Bible? Somebody that you really admire? Well, the one who I admire the most out of everybody else, human, that is, in the Bible, is Daniel. I remember listening to the story of Daniel as a little boy, even though uh, I wasn't necessarily a Christian or anything. Those are, those are children's stories. Daniel in the lion's den and Daniel. So I enjoyed Daniel as a boy. But as I grew up and I read the Bible for myself, something struck me. That here is Daniel. He's pleading with God and the angel comes to him. And the angel says to Daniel, Daniel, greatly esteemed by God. Wow. I covet an angel telling me that. Zeno, <coughs> greatly esteemed by God. What's your name? Marx. 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 What if an angel were to come? And when you are pleading in prayer, he comes into the room and he says, Marx, you are greatly esteemed by God. What would that do to you? Joy. Joy, huh? How about you? Would you like to hear that? Huh? How about, would you like to hear well done, good and faithful servant? Would you like to hear that? Those words, not spoken by anybody else, but by God himself. Do you think that happens overnight? I long for this for myself, and I long for this for my children. That God would see them with those eyes. I long for this for my brothers and sisters. For my church family, for those that I work with. But you know, I know my own heart. I don't even know it fully. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? But God does. And He wants to clean me up. And He wants to get rid of this sick heart that I've been born with. Oh, the words told to Daniel. I, I long, I long for the assurance that this is how God sees me. And you know what? He assures me. 
You are mine. You're mine. Don't believe what Satan is saying. But the question is, can he vouch for me as his? Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is talking about this. And he says, in Matthew chapter 7, he says, Not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. And he says, in that day, they'll come and what will they say? Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? What kind of stuff is that? I mean, prophesying and casting out, that sounds like high spiritual stuff. That sounds like, I mean, these guys must be, you know, high level disciples, right? But the saddest words, if the, if the best words that I can muster to hear are, well done, good and faithful servant, and you're greatly esteemed by God, the saddest words, depart from me, I never knew you. Who here wants to hear that? Depart from me, I never knew you. That part, I never knew you. I don't know you. That bothered me for a long time. But I, I have been teaching medical students for more than 30 years. And residents and specialists. And in my work, every time somebody needs to make some change, they usually need a letter of recommendation. So people would write, uh, in these days they'll send me an email, or if they get my, my cell phone, they'll send me a text. Doc, I am going to be doing so and so and so, I need a letter of recommendation. Would you write one for me? Right? And for most of the people who would ask me, I know them and I know them well enough that I can say, sure, I will do this. But one day this guy wrote to me, and the name looked familiar, but I didn't remember the guy at all. Okay? And he told me, I was in your class, I was on this rotation, I did so and so and so, I was there with such and such a person and such and such a person. Those are the people I remember, but I don't remember this guy. Alright? So I told him, I, I said, I'm sorry, but I, I can't write the letter of recommendation for you. He says, but doctor, I know you. I can tell you all oh, this, 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 this. Check the record. I, I am on the list. And I told him, yeah, you might be on the list, but I don't, I don't know you. I cannot write a letter of recommendation for you. He said, well, I'll write it and you sign it. <laughs> I said, no, it doesn't work that way. I can't do that. And you know, that, it struck me while I was going through this conversation with this fellow. What the issue is. Can Jesus vouch for me? That's what his knowing us is about. Can he vouch for me? Can he tell the onlooking universe? Can he tell his father? 
can he tell Satan, this guy is mine. I know him. <laughs> yeah. God knew Job. To know God is life eternal. For him to know you. Oh, what a joy. To know that you are like him. That he will say, this guy. Brand plucked from the fire. He is mine. Look at who he is. Now you know whose he is. He's mine. Do you want Jesus to vouch for you? When Marines are... Yeah. I was just trying to follow up a little bit on this question about... I never knew your question. Uh -huh. It appears that the people that Christ Yes, but let me go a little bit further. Yeah. Let's let's move forward to Matthew 25. Okay? In Matthew 25, the same words are there in Matthew 25, uh, 41. Depart from me. I never knew you. This context is in the sheep and the goats. And the description now about the people who, when I was... Uh, thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was hungry, you fed me, right? This, this is not high level spiritual stuff, casting out demons and whatnot. This is the ordinary, ordinary service that we have one for another. Who is exempt from being able to do that? No one. No one. When we don't even consider and have the attitude of service of doing the simple little things for others. We're not his. That's what he says. I don't know you. Because that's not like me. Thank you for asking the question. So, could he, could, so what you're saying in other words is that at this level where we are, we might be focusing so much on the higher levels and putting more emphasis there. Mm-hmm. But these ones that are within our reach, we ignore. Exactly. Think and claim that, that we are okay. That we are okay. Yeah. We are good preachers. It's we are good presenters. Exactly. But it, the person like immediately calls to us, we don't. No, we, we don't. We don't show Christ likeness, okay? Because we're not Christ-like. The rich young ruler had that problem. I've kept, I've kept these since my youth, he said. All the commandments. Jesus says, okay. Sounds great. I mean, I, I could imagine if I were there, what I would tell the guy if I were Jesus, right? But I'd say, this sounds great. Okay, now, you will show me that you have been keeping all of those commandments by doing one thing more. And the guy would say, sure, right? Sell all you have, give it to the poor, and come, let's go. And the guy says, no. Can't do it. Conclusion, you're not like me. You're not like me. 
I can't vouch for you. But God wants us to be always faithful. To be like Him. And He says in order to do that, please, give me a chance. Yield. Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. What is our diagnosis? Hard hearts, He says. Hard hearts. Stiff neck. Stony hearts. What's the prognosis? It's fatal. You will not leave this planet. What's the solution? Jesus Christ. Heart transplant. Take out the stony heart. Put in a new heart. A soft heart. A tender heart. And God says in Ezekiel 36.27 He says, I will put a new heart in you. I will put my spirit in you. The Holy Spirit. I will put my spirit in you. And I will cause you to do my statutes and keep them. Who is taking the responsibility for all this? God. There's only one in the universe who is always faithful. And that's God. And he is willing to transfer, transplant that attribute to us. We are not like lone tree. We don't have to take this vow of saying, I am a U.S. Marine and therefore, no. We have to yield and submit. Give ourselves to Jesus. He won't take us by force. And he doesn't want us to take anything else by force. That's not his way. You know, the, um, the military cadets in the New York Military Academy, they have something that they recite that I'd like to read for you as we end up. And actually, before I end, I ought to, to tell you about something that has been very, very useful to me. Somebody gave me this book uh, some, a long time ago, and I, I use it, I travel with this. It's a handbook to renewal by Kenneth Bohr. In this, the way the Bible texts are reorganized, it's according to this. For every day's reading, there is a, a statement of the attributes of God. Texts from the Bible that demonstrate the attributes of God. The second thing is the works of God. How God works with us, in us, around us. The next one is my relationship with God. The next one is the character that I want to cultivate. Really, the character that God wants to cultivate in me. And the last thing is my relationship with others. Starting, of course, with those who are closest to us. But here's what the, uh, the military cadets recite. It's called the Cadet's Prayer. Lord, make us to choose the harder right instead of the easier wrong. And never be content with a half-truth when the whole truth can be won. Endow us with courage that is born of loyalty to all that is noble and worthy, that scorns compromise with vice and injustice and knows no fear when the truth and right are in jeopardy.
I tell you. It reminds me of what Ellen White penned years ago in Testimonies, Volume 5. To stand in defense of truth and righteousness when the majority forsake us. To fight the battles of the Lord when champions are few. This will be our test. Ladies and gentlemen, not ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen, <laughs> champions, that word translated back into Hebrew is men. Real men. To stand strong when men, real men are few. This will be our test. At this time, she says, we must gather warmth from the coldness of others. Courage from their cowardice. And loyalty from their treason. I tell you. God wants us to be real men. He wants us to be always faithful. And I will leave you with just a few points. To ponder as you are on this road to faith. From faith to faith. One. Remember who you are and whose you are. The U.S. Marines, when they get captured and they're being tortured, they repeat three things. Name, rank, and serial number. You know what that says? Who they are and whose they are. Can we do any less? Who are you and to whom do you belong? The second, recognize that we're born in sin and shaped in iniquity and that we have not stepped up to the plate, most of us, as men, in all the different aspects of our manly lives and our manlyhood. Third, repent. That means, from the Greek, metanoia, two words, change mind. Allow God to give us the spirit of repentance so that we can change our mind, change our focus, not be conformed to this world, but be transformed and to think like Him. The fourth thing, if there are things that are stumbling blocks in our way, remove them. Burn our bridges. Make no provision for the flesh. Yeah, it takes courage to do that. Something is going wrong. This is causing you to stumble. You know how Jesus put it? If your eye is causing you to sin, what do you do? Pluck it out. Remove the things that are causing us to have problems. That's what he's saying. Remove those things. Or move away from them. And of course, return to God. Return to godly living. Be revived and be renewed. And above all, keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, and the only one who can keep us from falling and to present us faultless, always faithful. God bless you. We hope this presentation from the Maryland Men of Faith has been a blessing to you. Your feedback is welcomed. Please visit us at mmof.org.